Welcome to the library, dear listener. Please, take a seat. I have a story for you. Settle in. This is The Sign of the Four by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Chapter 3 In Quest of a Solution It was half past five before Holmes returned. He was bright, eager, and in excellent spirits, a mood which, in his case, alternated with fits of the blackest depression. There is no great mystery in this matter. Thank you. The facts appear to admit of only one explanation. What? You have solved it already? Well, that would be too much to say. I have discovered a suggestive fact, that is all. It is, however, very suggestive. The details are still to be added. I've just found on consulting the back files of the Times that Major Sholto of Upper Norward, late of the 34th Bombay Infantry, died upon the 28th of April, 1882. Now, I may be very obtuse, Holmes, but I fail to see what this suggests. No? You surprise me. Look at it in this way, then. Captain Morrison disappears. The only person in London whom he could have visited is Major Sholto. Major Sholto denies having heard that he was in London. Four years later, Sholto dies. Within a week of his death, Captain Morrison's daughter receives a valuable present, which is repeated from year to year and now culminates in a letter which describes her as a wronged woman. What wrong can it refer to except this deprivation of her father? And why should the presence begin immediately after Sholto's death, unless it is that Sholto's heir knows something of the mystery and desires to make compensation? Have you any alternative theory which would meet the facts? But what a strange compensation, and how strangely made. Why, too, should he write a letter now rather than six years ago? Again, the letter speaks of giving her justice. What justice can she have? It is too much to suppose that her father is still alive, and there is no other injustice in her case that you know of. There are difficulties. There are certainly difficulties. But our expedition of tonight will solve them all. Ah, here is a four-wheeler, and Miss Morstan is inside. Are you all ready? Then we had better go down, for it is a little past the hour. I picked up my hat and my heaviest stick but I observed that Holmes took his revolver from his drawer and slipped it into his pocket. It was clear that he thought that our night's work might be a serious one. Miss Morrison was muffled in a dark cloak and her sensitive face was composed, but pale. She must have been more than woman if she did not feel some uneasiness at the strange enterprise upon which we were embarking. Yet her self-control was perfect, and she readily answered the few additional questions which Sherlock Holmes put to her. Major Sholto was a very particular friend of Papa's. His letters were full of allusions to the Major. He and Papa were in command of the troops at the Andaman Islands, so they were thrown a great deal together. By the way, a curious paper was found in Papa's desk, which no one could understand. I don't suppose that it is of the slightest importance, but I thought you might care to see it, so I brought it with me. Here it is. Ah, oh, thank you. Hmm. It is paper of native Indian manufacture. 
and it has at some point been pinned to a board. The diagram upon it appears to be a plan of part of a large building with numerous halls, corridors, and passages. At one point is a small cross done in red ink, and above it is 3.37 from left in faded pencil writing. In the left-hand corner is curious hieroglyphic like four crosses in a line with their arms touching. Beside it is written in very rough and coarse characters, the sign of the four, Jonathan Small, Mahomet Singh, Abdullah Khan, Dost Akbar. No, I confess that I do not see how this bears upon the matter, yet it is evidently a document of importance. It has been kept carefully in a pocketbook, for the one side is as clean as the other. It was in his pocketbook that we found it. Preserve it carefully, then, Miss Morstan, for it may prove to be of some use to us. I begin to suspect that this matter may turn out to be much deeper and more subtle than I at first supposed. I must reconsider my ideas. It was a September evening, and not yet seven o'clock, but the day had been a dreary one, and a dense, drizzly fog lay low upon the great city. Mud-colored clouds drooped sadly over the muddy streets. Down the strand, the lamps were but misty splotches of diffused light which threw a feeble circular glimmer upon the slimy pavement. The yellow glare from the shop windows streamed out into the steamy, vaporous air and threw a murkyish, shifting radiance across the crowded thoroughfare. There was, to my mind, something eerie and ghost-like in the endless procession of faces which flitted across the narrow bars of light. Sad faces and glad, haggard and merry. Like all humankind, they flitted from the gloom into the light, and so back into the gloom once more. I am not subject to impressions, but the dull, heavy evening with the strange business upon which we were engaged combined to make me nervous and depressed. I could see from Miss Morrison's manner that she was suffering from the same feeling. Holmes alone could rise superior to petty influences. He held his open notebook upon his knee, and from time to time he jotted down figures and memoranda in the light of his pocket lantern. At the Lyceum Theatre, the crowds were already thick at the side entrances. In front, a continuous stream of hansoms and four-wheelers were rattling up, discharging their cargoes of shirt-fronted men and beshawled, bediamonded women. We had hardly reached the third pillar, which was our rendezvous, before a small, dark, brisk man in the dress of a coachman accosted us. Are you the parties who come with Miss Morstan? I am Miss Morstan, and these two gentlemen are my friends. You will excuse me, miss, but... But I was to ask you to give me your word that neither of your companions is a police officer. I give you my word on that. The situation was a curious one. We were driving to an unknown place, on an unknown errand. Yet, our invitation was either a complex hoax, which was an inconceivable hypothesis, or else we had good reason to think that important issues might hang upon our journey. 
Miss Morstan's demeanor was as resolute and collected as ever. I endeavored to cheer and amuse her by reminiscence of my adventures in Afghanistan. But, to tell the truth, I was myself so excited at our situation and so curious as to our destination that my stories were slightly involved. To this day, she declares that I told her one moving anecdote as to how a musket looked into my tent at the dead of night and how I fired a double-barreled tiger cub at it. At first, I had some idea as to the direction in which we were driving, but soon, with our pace, the fog and my own limited knowledge of London, I lost my bearings. I knew nothing, save that we seemed to be going a very long way. Sherlock Holmes was never at fault, however, and he muttered the names as the cab rattled through squares and in and out by torturous by-streets. Rochester Row? Hmm. Now, Vincent Square. Now we've come out on the Vauxhall Bridge Road. We're making for the Surrey side, apparently. Uh, yes, I thought so. Now we're on the bridge and catch the glimpses of the river. Wardsworth Road. Priory Road. Lockhall Lane. Stockwell Place. Robert Street. Cold Harbor Lane. Our quest does not appear to take us to very fashionable regions. We had indeed reached a questionable and forbidding neighborhood. Long lines of dull brick houses were only relieved by the coarse glare and tawdry brilliancy of the public houses at the corner. Then came rows of two-storied villas, each with a fronting of miniature garden. And then again, interminable lines of new staring brick buildings, the monster tentacles which the giant city was throwing out into the country. At last, the cab drew up at the third house in a new terrace. None of the other houses were inhabited, and that at which we stopped was as dark as its neighbors, save for a single glimmer in the kitchen window. The Sahib awaits you. Throw them in straight into me. And that is all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. If you would like, the Tea Room is open for you on Patreon. You get each episode early and always ad-free. Today's episode featured the talents of Joshua as Sherlock, Paul as Watson, Robin as Mary, Iggy as our coachman, and Mihai as Thaddeus Sholto and the Dorman in the last scene. Their links will be in the description. Until next week, take care, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>